Joining us now on the program is retired Lieutenant Colonel Charlie Brown, who we meant to have on this program last October as the race heated up in the 4th Congressional District between Charlie Brown and Congressman John Doolittle. Unfortunately, we failed in our effort, but we have him here today. We're pleased to say welcome to Radio Parallax, Charlie Brown. Uh, Thank you for having me on, Doug. I hope this will be the first of many interviews. Well, I I hope the same thing. Our signal uh, comes in pretty loud and clear up in the 4th Congressional District, so so we know we'll be reaching uh, prospective voters. Well, there's a lot of folks out here that just are eager for the news to get an idea of what's really going on in the world, and there is so much going on now, both locally, nationally, internationally. It's directly affecting all of us because of the impact on our budgets, on our children. Everything about our lives is being impacted by things. Colonel Brown, we should probably let people know that you are running. 2008 campaign is uh, is being talked about on the national level, but we should note that it's actually started already for the 4th District. Well, we have not uh, officially made a decision yet. We <laughs> okay. have the we have the website up and running, charliebrownforcongress.org. We are soliciting volunteers, of course, the always needed money. And mostly we're looking to see if there is enough interest out there to keep this going. We don't think that uh, it's wonderful that we took Congress back. I believe that a lot of good things are coming out of Congress as the hearings take place. We're finding out uh Problems with our troops in Iraq, trouble with the veterans' care when they come back, troubles with the Justice Department, but there's still an awful lot to be done, and John Doolittle remains part of the problem. Let's talk a little bit about about Congressman Doolittle. There was an article in the Sacramento News and Review of late, which I thought might be worth quoting. Uh, They noted from the correspondence in Washington that, uh, well, the way they described it was John Doolittle was the only House member who did not make himself available to be interviewed for this article, but in Washington, the question on most minds regarding Doolittle is not why he avoids an interview, but whether he will avoid an indictment. So he's in actually quite a bit of political trouble. He is in a lot of political trouble. Uh, I do not know whether he's going to be indicted or not, but he is very ineffective as a congressman. He was ineffective before, but if you go to the Clerk of the House website, and check on what John Doolittle is currently doing in Congress. He has introduced 10 bills in Congress now that he is the author of. He does not have a sponsor, co-sponsor on any of his bills. His own party is staying away from him. They don't like the bills he's proposing, and he can't get anyone in Congress to be a co-sponsor on any of the 10 bills that he has authored. That shows how much everyone in Washington is moving away from him because they know that he is trouble and a liability. Let's refresh people's mind as why he is in trouble. He's associated with Brent Wilkes and Jack Abramoff, much in the news of late, regarding uh, Randy Duke Cunningham, who was uh, basically taken out of Congress and put in jail. He has been in the middle of all of the scandals in Washington, uh, starting with Tom DeLay, then up to Abramoff, Nay, Foley, Wilkes, uh, anything that has to do with money and money being paid to congressmen for their vote. John Doolittle's name has been mentioned. Well, speaking of money, I, I note here uh, on the website, uh, Colonel Brown, you've been critical of, of John Doolittle's opposition to the emergency rural school funding measure recently. What was that all about? Well, the rural schools in the northern California counties, and this doesn't just affect California, any of the states with 
uh, a large amount of federal land, forest land, have been receiving money from for logging on their lands. And this goes back to uh, the early 1900s. Uh, six years ago, due to the decrease in logging, the Secure Rural Schools Act was passed that gave the rural schools and road districts a percentage of federal money to keep their school systems going. This act expired. Uh, nothing was done about it in the last Congress. should have been taken care of last year. It was not. So one of the problems that the 110th Congress, uh, the Democratic Congress, inherited was how to fund the rural schools. Literally, some of the school districts up in Modoc and Lassen counties would, would have gone bankrupt. So they added $400 million into the Iraq War Supplemental Bill as a stopgap measure to fund the rural schools until Congress would have time to actually do a permanent fix to the school districts. John Doolittle did not do anything to get this bill passed while he was part of the Republican leadership in the last Congress, and he voted against it uh, in this Congress. Let's talk also about uh, the the scandal over at Walter Reed. Um, the Iraq War, of course, is dividing America. Uh, opinions vary, shall we say, as to what, what should be done over there. But I think everybody um, wants to see the people that serve over there taken care of. And the, the, the scandal of the condition of, of, the, of, of um, the infrastructure and the care over there is really, I think, shocked everybody. Um, what's, what's your reaction to this? Well, the problems with veterans' care have been out there for a long time. This was actually the probably the primary issue that pushed me into politics when I had enlisted people who served with me coming to me after retirement asking if I could do something to help them with the veteran system. Now, we get pretty good care out here in the California area, although I have had a number of people call in with some specific complaints uh, about some of the facilities, but Walter Reed is just uh, symptomatic of the problems with the whole system where everybody talks about supporting the troops, but nothing is actually being done once they come back and disappear. Uh, you can make a lot of complaints about on active duty, but Walter Reed specifically highlights the veterans who have come back with serious injuries from combat, and their paperwork, they are getting wonderful care from the doctors and the nurses who see them, but the bureaucracy that has been created by this administration to hold down budget costs by delaying the settlement of their disability claims, by delaying whether they will be kept on active duty or put into the VA system, this is where this group of people, the main problem people hear about with Building 18, if their claims were being handled in a timely manner, they would never have had a reason to be over there waiting for months for their paperwork to be correctly taken care of. This is something that the claims backlog has gotten so much worse, gone up almost a third in the last two years. The care, the VA has not made the effort to get the proper care providers on board where the VA in the past has been, you know, overburdened with the World War II vets, the Korea vets, the Vietnam vets, and, you know, an older generation. Now you have this younger group with these serious problems from amputations, burns, traumatic brain injuries 
the VA was not equipped to deal with this new round of injuries. That's one of the reasons that we are currently, as we raise money for a political campaign, we have pledged to give 10% of the money we collect to the local um, veterans groups here in the district to help offset the shortfall that the federal government is not taking care of. But this is a long-term problem. It has been building for a number of years, but we have seen this administration make the problem worse as they have changed the eligibility rules, as they have made it harder for people that come back with amputations and the traumatic brain injury, the post-traumatic stress injuries, straight back into the VA system from a combat zone, and they're trying to say that these aren't combat-related injuries. This borders on being criminal. It is only through the oversight process. Well, first off, we have the press who went after this story. I think we're shocked to find out what they had and refused to cover it up. And then we finally have a Congress that's holding oversight hearings to get the troop out to the rest of the people. But there is such a need out there that the government is not taking care of to take care of these men and women who kept their promise to defend this country, we are not keeping our promise to take care of them once they come back. Well, Colonel, as a military officer, uh, a Vietnam vet yourself, you served as a rescue helicopter pilot at the end of the war. Your son, I understand, is about to deploy for his fourth rotation in Iraq. Um, Final question today, what do you see happening with the Iraq war in 2007? I would encourage everyone to read what General Petraeus is saying about the Iraq war, that a military victory cannot be achieved to settle things in Iraq. The military victory was won when we defeated Saddam's army. General Petraeus is saying that the only way we are going to get any resemblance of peace in Iraq, a stable country, is through political and economic efforts, that that is where the emphasis needs to be now, and yet we do not see this administration making the effort over the last four years of this war for a political or economic solution there. They have concentrated on the military because that's glamorous and it's gotten them headlines, but General Petraeus has publicly stated that it is going to take political involvement of the other countries in the region, and we do not see that happening. We have not seen that happen for the last four years. It is the mistakes of the last four years that got us in the difficulties we are in now, and we have to have an administration that can be considered an honest broker in the region to carry through the political and economic efforts that General Petraeus says are necessary for stability in Iraq that will allow us to get out. Well, Colonel, we're very interested in what will happen in California's 4th Congressional District. We hope that, uh, indeed, this will be the first of many appearances on our program. Well, thank you very much, much, Doug. Uh, Hard to get everything out in an interview. So, again, I encourage your listeners and you to check out the website, charliebrownforcongress.org, and I would hope at some point in time I can come over, sit down, and we can take phone questions from your listeners. Well, Colonel, we'll see if we can't arrange just that at some future point. And again, appreciate your speaking with us, and good luck here as things unfold. Thank you, Doug. We would note a statistic from uh, 
from January of this year, according to Newsweek, of the 535 members of the House and Senate, only about 25 have come under fire in combat. And we're not sure the exact number of members of Congress who have uh, children or family members who are active military facing enemy fire in, in the Middle East. But uh, Colonel Brown served in Vietnam and his son is going for, back for his fourth tour of duty in Iraq. I think this gives him a perspective that uh, is lacking from a lot of members of Congress. And we, we, again, we wish him well in his efforts in 2008. Speaking of uh, campaign 2008, uh, we note that somehow uh, Rudy Giuliani seems to be bobbing his way to the, uh, the head of the Republican crowd. However, in the recent Republican state convention held in Sacramento a couple months back, we noted that uh, Bill Simon, the man who ran an embarrassingly unsuccessful 2002 ca California gubernatorial candidacy against Gray Davis... Uh, went to the convention to try and convince delegates that Giuliani is not too liberal. Which doesn't sound like a winning marketing strategy to us. When I saw the headline in the B saying, Bill Simon seeks to sell Giuliani to the right, I figured the mayor's goose is cooked. And speaking of Sacramento politics, we have this item now a few weeks old. Sacramento Mayor Heather Fargo violated California's Political Reform Act when she failed to identify the person who bought her home as required in her economic interest statements. That was according to a state commission. California's Political Reform Act requires certain public officials to report their assets and income so conflicts of interest can be avoided. And yes, I'm sure that listeners will be incredulous at the notion that someone running for the city council in Sacramento could have a conflict of interest. But if you drive through Business 80 and take a look to the north at the sprawling development of North Natomas out in what used to be referred to as floodplain, well, you, you might have some doubts about those hundreds of thousands of dollars that developers contributed to the various candidates and, and just wonder, could there have been a, some sort of quid pro quo? And I'm sure knowing our local politicos, as most of you do, your reaction is going to be, nah. Here's an interesting item we put aside uh, to return to later. It was uh, dateline November 4th, 2006, from the San Francisco Chronicle. Article by Bob Ejelko. Former Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor told the San Francisco audience Friday that judges are under political attack nationwide, and a ruling she endorsed four years ago is partly to blame. O'Connor spoke four days before voters in South Dakota considered the Jail for Judges initiative, which would create a citizen's grand jury that could authorize civil suits or criminal prosecutions against judges based on their rulings. We certainly can understand why Sandra Day O'Connor would be nervous about uh, an, an initiative like that. She was one of the five Supreme Court justices that stopped the vote recount in 2000 and gave us the George W. Bush presidency. If any judicial ruling could result in criminal prosecution, well, that, that would be pretty high on the list. But apparently uh, th this backlash, uh, this direct citizen backlash against judges, uh, is largely a result of the Supreme Court's 2002 ruling that judicial candidates had a constitutional right to declare their views on legal or political issues. She was part of the court's 5-4 to four majority, that overturned a judicial ethics rule in Minnesota that banned such statements. Well, I don't know. It does seem that sometimes what goes around comes around. 
Well, we certainly enjoyed our talk last week with Michael Trachtman about 34 Supreme Court uh, decisions that, uh, Supreme Court cases that have affected our lives. We hope that we might uh, bring him back at some future date. And uh, final item of this segment, we're going to continue to follow this matter of Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez being in trouble over the issue of fired federal prosecutors. We sort of find it odd that Alberto Gonzalez has gotten in hot water over this when the fact that he's basically the guy that instructed the Bush administration that, you know, ignoring the Geneva Conventions, you know, would be okay is something that so far he hasn't gotten his wrist slapped over. And just two months ago... The big issue with Alberto Gonzalez was over uh, the increasing surveillance going on of American citizens at the behest of uh, the Pentagon, the CIA, and the Justice Department. The Week magazine had noted last January 19th that in a little-noticed signing statement, which uh, George Bush had attached to a Postal Service reform bill in December, as we've noted before, uh, Bush often uses such statements to set out his interpretation of how new laws affect presidential powers. In this particular case... Bush said federal authorities are allowed to open mail without a warrant when they deem that lives are in danger or to collect foreign intelligence. That same week, the Sacramento Bee noted that the Pentagon has been using little-known power to obtain banking and credit records of hundreds of Americans and others suspected of terrorism or espionage inside the United States. Personally, we have some doubts about uh, what it means to be suspected of terrorism, especially in the wake of the fact that uh, the revelations this week that in the ramp-up to the Republican convention in New York, the uh, NYPD was looking all over the nation at potential uh, terrorist groups, which apparently included peace activists. In fact, there was an article in Rolling Stone last November 11th from Robert Dreyfus titled The Pentagon's New Spies that described how the military has built a vast domestic intelligence network to fight terrorism, but is using it to track students, grandmothers, and others protesting the war in Iraq. You really should look up this article. We're only going to quote briefly from it as follows. In May 2005, a California group called the Raging Grannies ran afoul of military spies when it helped organize a peaceful Mother's Day demonstration to protest the war in Iraq. Unbeknownst to them, their action was brought to the attention of a new intelligence unit at the California National Guard, a program that went by the cumbersome title of Information Synchronization, comma, Knowledge Management, comma, and Intelligence Fusion. According to internal emails, the Guard forwarded information about the protest, quote, to our intel folks who continue to monitor, unquote. Asked why the California Guard was spying on the grannies, a spokesman suggested that terrorists might try to take advantage of the activists. Quote, who knows who could infiltrate that type of group and try to stir something up? Lieutenant Colonel Stan Zezotowski told reporters. After all, he said, we live in an age of terrorism. So, who knows? <laughs> that was worth saying again. According to Lieutenant Colonel Zezotowski, who knows who could infiltrate that type of group and try to stir something up? Well, for the record, Lieutenant Colonel Zezatarsky, we do try to stir something up on this program, but we're going to keep a very keen eye peeled for anyone trying to infiltrate us. Anyway, uh, uh, final comment on, this, uh, on these uh, attorney firings. Kyle Sampson, apparently a former Alberto Gonzalez chief of staff, coined the phrase, loyal bushies, 
in a 2002-2006 email rating U.S. attorneys for retention or not. Apparently, whether you got retained or not had a lot to do with whether you were a loyal Bushy. Of course, as we reported on last week's program, uh, George Bush has said he's not going to let any of his aides uh, testify under oath before Congress. This does set up a potential constitutional crisis of sorts and did, did promote the following response from Jay Leno. Oh, I love when they say this is a constitutional crisis. Oh, please. We haven't used the Constitution in years. Said Conan O'Brien. After Congress subpoenaed presidential advisor Karl Rove, President Bush said he will allow Rove to answer questions, but not under oath. The president said, I am all for him talking as long as he doesn't have to tell the truth. And finally, John Oliver on The Daily Show commented, If Karl Rove knew one day he'd be forced to testify under oath about the advice he gave the president, he'd have to limit that advice to things that weren't shameful, illegal, or spectacularly boneheaded. Anyway, let's, let's take a short break. This might be a good time to use Pipeline by Dick Dale. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Radio Parallax.